and I'm not I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We talking about practice, man. We talking about practice. We talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We talking about practice, man. Welcome to episode 209 of The Yellow Wall Pod. As always, I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and uh, the international break is finally over. The uh, games between the last two international breaks weren't so prominent for Borussia Dortmund, but there's hope all things will turn around. And uh, for this very optimistic show, I'm sure it will be. Join me once again, Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm freaking A, so <laughs> I'm I'm doing well. Lars Pollmann here. Hello, Lars. How are you? Hello, Stefan. I am not suspended, and thus I'm doing better than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm 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 glad you're you're so cheerful. And also here, Konstantin Eckner from Spielverlagerung. Hello, Konstantin. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. Always doing better than Aubameyang. <laughs> Always. Always. Oh, yeah. That's not easy, but um, yeah, why why not? I mean, uh, he is uh, he is a cheerful person, and that means Konstantin Egner is even more cheerful. I don't I don't know what kind of drugs are you taking then, Konstantin? Um, no comment. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, before before we dive in, I of course have to thank our patrons and the thing. Uh, or patrons rather and since i haven't done it in quite a while i will just read out everyone now because you all deserve that honorary mention because we are eternally grateful and uh, yeah here it goes a very long list so thanks again everyone who is donating to our patreon account live meile jakob stolzenbach derek americana lucas stoller paul magaletti abel mescheros Borussia Dortmund fanclub london erwin stefan wolf daniel dreger <laughs> I don't I don't know who that is, but thank you to Götze Reus BVB09, to Tom Payne, Johannes Maus, Steve Jones, Mark Lemke, Tony Hahn, Gary Brenger, Uli Klümper, Gabe Sloop, Keith Davis, Danny Smith, Andrew Tiepel, Cameron Davis, Bryce Wilkinson, Tom McCool, Aaron Hessler, Steve Berkowitz, Sean Padraig, Adam Mutton, Michelle McDonald, and Adam McEnroe. Thanks to you all, and uh, of course, a very special mention also to Dave Hackerson, Alex, Joel Method, Will O'Grady, Max Oesterlund, and George Clark, since uh, they all portrays the uh, great BVB Cups that we have, our Stadium Collectors Cup. And we still have a couple uh, ones left, some from the Cup Final. Anywho, that's... Uh, For, for that's all for now from our Patreon side of things. Uh, Borussia Dortmund now third in the Bundesliga and have the derby coming up next weekend. But before that, they will play in Stuttgart on Friday and against Tottenham on Tuesday, which is what we will discuss and preview now. Um, Lars, everything seemed fine and well, and I was happy to get my preview fee for ESPN out of the way yesterday and now we open Twitter today and we see Pierre-Merrick Aubameyang did not travel with the team because apparently according to Sebastian Wessling of uh, Funke Mediengruppe he has been not only suspended uh, but suspended due to disciplinary measures and according to teammates I guess some sources there tell us that uh, he has been late a couple of times so what do we make of this? Well, I don't think he was suspended because he was late for 
team training a couple of times. I I think the report said that among other things, he's uh, arrived late for team training and more damningly, he considers himself untouchable, uh, which is what teammates say about him. That is pretty severe from one teammate about another, I think. So uh, I, I, I mean, we know that Aubameyang can be a handful to handle. He's been suspended last year, so obviously he's now going to score four goals in the derby against Schalke. Um, he's been fined a lot of money for various uh, marketing gags, if you like. So we know that Aubameyang tends to be trouble a couple of times a year, perhaps, and, and this is the first time this season. Now, obviously, it comes on the on the back of a very poor run of results and and performances for Dortmund both domestically and in Europe so uh, with with him being one of the more senior players on the team i mean he's 28 years old he's the star striker the 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 guy everybody looks to for goals not only hasn't he scored in five games now he's also putting himself out of the running against Stuttgart in the fixture that is probably going to prove relatively tough for Dortmund would have even with him on the pitch. It speaks to a lack of the professionalism that uh, sporting director Michel Zorc has praised about Aubameyang a couple of times. I mean, we've mentioned his quote a few times that Zorc gave to a sports studio in Germany where he said that basically he loves the player Aubameyang is because he brings so much positive energy on the pitch and, and also in training. But when, when that positive figure turns sour that's even worse than a, a, a bench dweller doing something wrong so it's it's a it's a big blow not only for the Stuttgart game which as I said will be even more difficult without him but just generally the the vibe around Dortmund which hasn't been great for a number of reasons in recent weeks will will take another hit with with Oamiang's carelessness or unprofessionalism or however you want to call it and and that's something that over the long haul will probably factor into a decision they will have to make on Aubameyang next season because he's going to be 29 in May or June, I believe. And uh, it's probably the, the last window for them to turn a, an asset into a lot of money. And, and this suspension and the suspension last year and all the fines he's paying for whatever marketing stuff, I, I, that's all going to factor into it. So it just... just Unfortunate, not very smart on his part, and and it has ramifications that go beyond uh, Friday's match against Stuttgart. Yeah, speaking of those ramifications, Matthias, um, I asked myself that question: What sort of is worse that Aubameyang is acting out now for whatever misconduct he is apparently doing? I don't know. As Lars said, maybe it's a little bit more than just being late. You know, he has been described by teammates as untouchable, obviously, off the record. But uh, so what's worse is that he is behaving that way or that people and teammates in particular are talking about him in the press now behind his back, basically? Uh, the latter, of course, because that means that his behavior has finally reached a point where people don't want to tolerate it anymore. They've they've basically had enough. And if you combine that with the fact that he's not doing what the sole job he gets paid to do, which is score goals, that exacerbates the situation. Of course, Dortmund are in a bit of a dip right now, so everybody's probably a little bit on edge, and that doesn't help. But I've always equated uh, premium goal scorers to wide receivers in the NFL. They're all kind of prima donna divas, and Obama Young is no different. I mean, we, we've always known that. And when things are going well, everything's great. When things aren't going well, it, it, sometimes they can be poisonous for a dressing room. So I think this is a good move to suspend him. It kind of course corrected him for a while last season because it happened, I believe, this same day a year ago or pretty much. And so maybe, maybe not a, not a bad idea. I don't know if Isaac's going to, get a start then. I don't know if they trust him just yet enough as a youngster, but I'd like to see him more. I think I even tweeted that after that that last match. So it's not good that it's turning this way. I think the writing's on the wall that it's his last season. 
Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's not, uh, it wasn't the same day, but it was the same month last year. Um, Constantine, before we uh, started to record the show, you uh, took the liberty and looked at Transfermarkt.de for potential replacements for Aubameyang. Anything from the top of your head that would come to mind that uh, Dortmund's you know, come summer or so could actually purchase? Or do you think that it's maybe not a foregone cl conclusion that Dortmund will get rid of Aubameyang because there's no contingency plan? I Yeah, actually, I looked up uh, not available strikers, but strikers who would be, you know, in Dortmund's price range uh, for a winter move, not for the summer. Uh, I think if you want to sign a new center forward during summer uh, transfer window, uh, you have to... Uh, uh, pursue a long-term plan uh, right now. I mean, if it's more severe, uh, the disciplinary issues uh, regarding Uma Miyang, then I don't know, maybe they need to sign someone uh, in the winter transfer window, which is far more difficult to do uh, if you want to, you know, have, have or if you want to have a new striker as a, a specific level, at least. Um, so, Yeah, that's why I looked up uh, some of the strikers who might join Dortmund in the winter move where Dortmund could buy them out out of the contract. Um, but yeah, reg regarding next summer, um, you have to look far more deeper into the market and, and, and look who, who who might sign, uh, who is available, who, who, you know, who doesn't or where you don't have to pay more than, I don't know, 50 million or so because I think that's like the cutoff. Um, there for Dortmund, so yeah, that's that's an entirely different discussion. But uh, I mean, I could imagine that he will, uh, or I'm young, uh, will leave next summer. Um, I don't know how severe are the disciplinary issues right now. So I mean, I'm I'm also a little bit hesitant uh, towards like the, uh, the the thing you mentioned that that some of his teammates now uh, I, um, react. Uh, to what he does in the, in the locker room or to how he behaves overall, uh, th th that he is some kind of a diva. Um, I don't know who is said, who said that. Uh, maybe it was someone who's disappointed that Oamiyang is still, you know, in the starting 11 and the, the anonymous player isn't. So yeah, I would be more careful, uh, with statements like that. I mean, uh, uh, unless uh, someone like I don't know Julian Weigel or another starter who's like undisputed within the team uh, comes out and and says that uh, Wamiyang is a diva and uh, he has some attitude issues, uh, unless that happens, I would be a little bit uh, more careful uh, judging Wamiyang uh, based on you know anonymous statements. Fair enough. Speaking of uh, more. Uh, uh Yeah, replacements in the very near future, speaking tomorrow or rather today when you're listening, hopefully. Uh, Matthias, who do you think uh, Dortmund will line up up front now in the wake of Aubameyang? Well, odds are, like I said, I, I know what I'd love to see. And I just said that, yeah, Alex Izak, I don't see that happening. I think it'll probably be... Um, Maybe a Philip or a Yamolenko, someone who has also played as a central striker. Maybe Andre Schürrle. Uh, well, I kind of see that more. Probably a deeper dropping false nine type player in that role than an out-and-out -out striker like uh, Isaac would be. Who, again, I would prefer to see there. Give him a chance. Actually, I'm not sure if he even traveled with the team to Stuttgart. I haven't seen him on a single photo or anything, but it's also not reported that he stayed away. So, yeah, not sure on that. Lars, um, I think we mentioned Philip a couple of times uh, as as a replacement for Aubameyang. Um, who would you pick? Yeah, I, I would pick Isaac, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. Actually, I think Stuttgart are a decent um, opportunity to play a young striker because they have two very young center backs. So it's not like he, he'd go up against, uh, you know, the the dirty old professionals who know all the tricks in the book. I mean, uh, Stuttgart are likely going to play with uh, Benjamin Pavard and Timo Baumgartel. So they're not that much older and more experienced than Isaac. Uh, I think that's... And, and Stuttgart isn't the most hostile environment for uh, for an away game, I would say. 
So that wouldn't be too bad in my opinion for him, but I do agree with Matthias that it's probably unlikely. I, I think it's going to be uh, Yabolenko nominally, and then uh, they will rotate in and out of positions more often than they do with Aubameyang, meaning that we'll see uh, both uh, Yamolenko and Philip and possibly even Pulisic in the middle more often than we usually do. But uh, I, the, the the thing is that given the way Aubameyang has played and has been used rather in, in Bosch's system, I don't think it's too big a downgrade actually the whether it's Yamolenko or Philip or even Schuller, I think they can all do what Yamo, what Aubameyang has done, which isn't which isn't a lot. The the thing that worries me or would worry me most is that they don't have the same naturalness in their goal scoring acumen. But then then again, Aubameyang, as I said, has gone scoreless for five games himself. So maybe this is this is a good opportunity for someone who's a bit more adept at playing with his back to the goal and, and being a link-up option. I think Yamolenko can do that. He's probably a little more physical than Aubameyang too, so I think that it's not a deal-breaker in terms of can Dortmund beat Stuttgart whether Yamolenko plays there instead of Aubameyang, but certainly missing your most natural goal scorer, even though he's not uh, proved to be much of a natural goal scorer in the last few games, uh, that's, that's certainly a loss. If I may make one last point on that issue. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, you know, missing will always cause a lot of distractions for the team. I'm pretty sure that every question or the first question after the game will always be about Aubameyang and uh, so to to the teammates. So that's uh, something to consider as well. That's, uh, as, as you said last, kind of kills the vibe now. Um, Konstantin, what kind of away game are Dortmund actually in for Stuttgart uh, so far four wins and one draw at home meanwhile uh, they lost all away games but um, yeah very strong at home um, Peter Bosch didn't really have an answer to my question at the press conference what is the difference between Stuttgart at home and away but uh, maybe you have an answer or at least can tell us uh, what Hannes Wolf is doing right now I mean, it's very obvious what the difference between home Stuttgart and, and uh, Stuttgart on the road. It's just that, that when they are uh, playing uh, away, they are they remain pretty 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 passive. I, there were a couple of matches this season so far, um, like the one at Leipzig, for instance, where they where they even had the chance to at least uh, get, you know win one point. Uh, you know just with a little bit more active pressing, a little bit more intensity, what they did was just, you know, hiding uh, basically in, in their shell, um, you know, playing playing in a deep, I don't know what it was, 5-3-2 five, five, or something, it doesn't really matter, it's just that... Yeah, that the same happened away to Hamburg that, too in their right, last loss. Yeah, that they, they don't put any pressure whatsoever on, on the uh, on the opposing players, um, and I mean, that can work out, you can do the old Cadenaccio thing and, you know, uh, play or, or come to a scoreless draw, but usually uh, because Stuttgart's individual quality is is decent, but not I mean, not up there among the top five or six teams in the Bundesliga. So I mean that they they will concede here and there. I mean it's pretty pretty much uh, uh, yeah a consequence. Um, and so that's the problem. I I don't know why why they do that uh, when they play away. I, I it, it's just you know they undersell basically. Uh, what they are capable of, and at home it's a it's a completely different team. Um, it's a team that that you know tries to uh, move the ball around themselves, you know, play through the rings. Uh, that's that's the strength and weakness at the same time because uh, usually the both center midfielders are not really involved in, in attacking plays. I don't know if that's if that's the best way to do it, but that's pretty much uh, what they do right now. Askazibar and Mangala uh, or Bornich, um, who has played a, f- a few times, um, they 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 aren't really involved in the build-up play. So usually it goes to one of the wingers, to Aogo, for instance, Aolo, and so on and so on. Um, which, of course, I mean you can now it's a, a bit a little bit predictable, uh, but. It can work out, especially you know when they when they knock the ball forward. Someone like Ginchik or Terode, they are capable of uh, um, you know just 
um, keeping the ball for a few seconds. Yeah, it's it's ba it's basic uh, Bundesliga uh, football. Uh, apart from a few matches where they played some unorthodox uh, uh, possession game, you know, it was was pretty. It's it's too complicated to do it on a podcast. You need to you need to see the pictures. Uh, but uh, where you. Could uh, could get an idea of what uh, Wolf wants to do down the road. I mean, I, I don't think he, he he wants to do it against Dortmund or right now, but he has some pretty interesting ideas as far as the possession, uh, as far as possession football goes. But uh, right now, I don't think against Dortmund they will, you know, will uh, do something like that. But um, I mean, he's not like the club. Uh, uh, I know the the second coming of young club anymore. I think I I think he he doesn't want to be that at least. Yeah, I guess we will see. Maybe he will do those things with Dortmund further down the line. I mean, who knows <laughs> what will happen at the uh, managerial position. Um, Matthias, Peter Bosch was very optimistic at this news conference on Wednesday, talking a lot about training and, uh, you know, having 12 to 13 players at his disposal during the international break rather than four or six. And do you think this is uh, enough for Dortmund to do the turnaround now and get back to form in those most crucial weeks? Um, well, I don't, I don't know if one international break does it. I, I think it definitely helps a lot because uh, they can work on a lot more things, um, both on and off the training pitch. You know, you know me. I'm, I'm probably. I always side a little bit more optimistic. Uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, um, because I think sooner or later the, as we say in German, der Knoten wird platzen. Uh, so it, it will click again going forward. And I think even though this will be a difficult match, I'd actually equate it a lot to like the Augsburg match, so difficult, more difficult than some people may think. Um, but I, I do believe this, rest and kind of break, mental break also from the pressure of the match day uh, and the negative results that, that they've seen uh, can be positive. Whether it is or not, we'll, we'll see, because some key players obviously were still missing, like Ikutsa and so on. So, But having the ones that he had at his disposal was nice. Unfortunately, one of those players will not be playing at Obama Young, um, but uh, the other ones, at least some of them will. Yeah, it's uh, good to know that the likes of Pulisic and Kagawa stayed back because they usually have l have long trips when they go on international breaks and uh, having them well rested, I guess, can make a lot of difference. Um, Lars, Peter Bosch was talking about uh, more consistency he is hoping for in his starting 11 and also the holding midfielder position, naming... Uh, or actually not naming anyone saying he's unsure who that will be um i i obviously know who your favorite is but um do you do you think that uh, going forward the battle between nori shine and julian weigel on the holding midfield position will be a close one or do you think that julian weigel now uh, with a bit more time under his belt will come and uh, clinch that spot in defensive midfield <laughs> If I may, I just want to make one more point on Aubameyang because uh, while we are recording this, Matthias Dersch of Kicker has reported that Aubameyang turned up uh, 30 minutes late for the final team training session ahead of the Stuttgart game. So, uh, I mean, footballers turning up five or six minutes late for a, tra for a training session is quite common actually, but 30 minutes, that's fairly severe. So uh, maybe it's just about this and... and, and uh, making a signal to both Aubameyang and the team that in this important phase of the season, uh, nothing similar will be tolerated anymore. But uh, just wanted to make that uh, that one point. Uh, I do believe that Weigel should be the regular starter, obviously, because not only has he more upside than uh, Shahin, he's also just simply the, the much better player right now. But uh, given how Bosch uses that holding midfielder which isn't really in a holding uh, capacity i mean we've talked at length about how uh, weigel is being used much higher up the pitch than he's usually comfortable with and and how he's not able to pick up uh, a lot of touches relatively deep in his own half which is kind of the bread and butter of his game and, and gives him all the confidence 
that's exactly what Shine is doing better than than Weigel. But uh, the, the question then is: Will Bosch adapt his system to the strengths of the better player, or is he as dogmatic as some people are arguing, or stubborn maybe as some people are arguing he is? And then, if that's the case, then I guess it doesn't really make a difference uh, playing Shine uh, or Weigel uh, because while Weigel is the better player, Shine is probably the better fit for that specific role. So. I do believe ultimately that uh, Weigel is going to get the bulk of the starts, but I don't really think he's going to be the player we know he can be until he's uh, given the freedom to play the position the way he does best. And, and I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Well, if that's so, how problematic is that, Matthias? Uh, I mean, Julian Weigel, obviously one of the most prized assets in Dortmund's midfield, and uh, I'm pretty sure he right now is also making his mind up about his future. Maybe a certain Pep Guardiola is interested in him, and uh, I'm sure he wants to go to the World Cup and also will measure his future in Dortmund uh, by the fact whether he actually felt like he had a chance going there or not. So is this future trouble if Bosch maybe does not adapt and gives Weigel a role where he doesn't, which which doesn't suit him? I don't know about that. I mean, the one one positive or a few interesting things. Let me rephrase it. Positive, we'll see. The interesting things from the last press conference, listening to Bosch, that surprised me a little bit. I always thought he was a. I considered him a not at least to be against rotation, but he seemed to be adamantly saying that he doesn't like rotation. He likes to have a set 11 and play the most most matches. He's, I mean, that's what he said in the press conference, more or less. And then when he was specifically asked about Shaheen versus Weigel, you know, he mentioned Shaheen a little bit and said that in the beginning, Shaheen always played because Weigel was hurt. But then he spoke a little bit more about Julian Weigel and the sense, and it's really just a sense, because obviously we're not in the meetings, we don't know what's actually being said, but the sense I get is that he desperately wants Weigel to take that role, that position, and to be the number one starter over Nuri Shahin, because he he sees Shahin's limitations, one based on his age, his body breaking down more and more over time, and his injury proneness, um, and Weigel more being the future and kind of the type of player he'd like to have there. So I think Bosch is definitely pro Weigel. Um, it's just a matter of seeing how the rest of uh, the Hinrunde kind of plays out. But I, I don't think Weigel's future at Dortmund or for Germany at the World Cup is in doubt at this point. Can I make one more point about rotation and Bosch? Um, last season at Ajax, one of the main criticisms towards uh, Bosch was his lack of rotation after European games. And there are many... Uh, people who believe Ajax lost the Dutch championship to, was it Pace Way or Feyenoord? I don't even remember. I think Pace Way. Um, because he didn't rotate his squad after European matches. So, uh, it's, it's always a, a, a double edged sword, if you like, uh, rotating or not. I think, uh, right now, with Dortmund's health situation looking better than it has for a number of weeks, I think he's still going to make a number of changes every week. But I could see him settling on a 11, especially in the second half of the season. Obviously, the, much will depend on whether or not Dortmund will reach the Europa League. But I do believe uh, him when he says he wants like a, a fix 11 and then only make one or two changes based on fatigue or maybe a few tactical wrinkles yeah speaking of starting 11th um Konstantin how do you actually see Dortmund setting up and maybe one one point on why Stuttgart's home form may, may be so good is that they played Mainz Wolfsburg uh, Augsburg Köln and Freiburg so far at home so quote-unquote a rather an easier schedule on paper but uh, how do you see Dortmund uh, lining up for this one Uh, first things first, uh, Feyenoord won the uh, Dutch Championship. Uh, <laughs> so uh, no, but back to the point. Uh, so uh, I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I mean, that uh, sometimes these international breaks um, provide some surprises. I mean, I don't. I don't I'm not sure uh, in what physical state so, some players are right now um, after long travels and so. 
but um, if there aren't any, you know, any issues, uh, if, if some are players are too fatigued, um, then I guess, I guess at least, uh, uh, Bosch tries to feel the best lineup he has um, right now available. Uh, I, I, because I mean, they they cut. They have to win, basically, you know, uh, in this situation. So I guess uh, Batar will play as a, as the right back again, um, and and Guerrero or Schmelzer, maybe Guerrero as as the left back this time. Um, and yeah, and and uh, Weigel, Götze, Kagawa. I, I guess they uh, Bosch will go for a more, you know, attacking orientated uh, midfield lineup. So no Castro, but rather uh, Götze and and Kagawa. And yeah, and and uh, Yamulenko, I think we will place Uameyang and Pulisic, Philip on the wings. Any objections? And Sagadu in center back, as center back. Yeah. Uh, I I want to see uh, Jeremy Torian at right back and Bartra in the middle. I think we've seen a number of times now that Bartra isn't a natural out wide and. With Torian not being away on international duty and him having two weeks to reset his mind and uh basically there are no excuses not to for him not to play well at this point. So uh if if he's not going to play against Stuttgart, he's certainly not going to play in the derby. So uh he's got to be reintroduced into the eleven at some point because I don't think uh Bartra can play every game at right back. So why not go with the first game where he's He's got the fresh legs and was available for uh, training all the time while Bartra was away on international duty. So I, I, I think there are no excuses not to play Tolian, but obviously we're not there in training. So if he still looks like garbage, basically, then he won't start. But I, I think he, he should. Yeah, I, I personally think that Butter would be the right choice against the Insua. Um, because, I mean, yeah, Butter has done some mistakes, uh, has made some mistakes as, as a right back, but you, you could see that technically he's just far ahead of most right backs in the league. And sometimes he even had, to, uh, you know, he was in the right position to dribble forward. He just didn't do it because it's not kind of his thing. But if you, you know, if you could, if he could chop, over the one hurdle and, and, you know, become a bit, little bit more confident in his own, uh, tripling game, then, uh, he would be a tremendous right back at times. Uh, because technically he's just tremendous out there. Uh, uh, far better than, I mean, far better than Toyon, of course, but far better than most fullbacks in the Bundesliga, which are uh, technically garbage most of the time. Uh, so, Konstantin, would you prefer Toprak, Socrates in the center and Bartra out wide or Bartra, Socrates and Toyon? Uh, I would prefer Sagadu and Socrates in the center and Batra as a right back. Especially against Insua. Did you actually uh, mention Guerrero when you were talking about the uh, midfield? Yeah, I, I, I mentioned I mentioned Guerrero. Alright. No, 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 that's the, midf as the, as the midfield, that's the left back. Yeah, he, he also may be an option for Bosch who said that, uh, you know, Guerrero could also play f far more advanced than his left back. Um, so, you know, a bit agreeing there with Thomas Tuchel. So maybe that's that's something we will see more of in the future too because Dortmund just need a little bit more creativity on, on those positions. So, so why not? But um, Matthias, maybe let's put this game in a bit more context. Um, we have the derby coming up next week and Borussia Dortmund lost... Uh, or not lose, but at least did not win the last four league matches. And with the two draws against Nicosia, the mood isn't all that great at Dortmund. And now after the international break, you know, everyone got a reset, you know, psychologically. So Lars spoke about the vibe. How much uh, importance do you uh, add to that game now on Friday? Well, a lot. I mean, it's, 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 I'd say it's the most crucial one in this run-in now towards the winter break because if they can't flip the switch against Stuttgart, knowing that it's difficult, but most Bundesliga matches are, um, if they can't flip the switch then, then don't expect it until they come back from the winter break. Uh, so I, I think then they'll lose against Schalke. It's my honest assessment because these 
things tend to spiral and it's not just in a, in a sporting sense. It's the same way in any, in any profession when the mood in a team, um, be it a, an office team, a sales team or a football team uh, starts going down, performances start to drop, you doubt yourself more and you look more pessimistically at things that you may have looked at more optimistically in the past. So this is significantly more important than Spurs uh, in midweek because the Champions League's done. Um, you just have to hope that maybe you get that extra point that Nicosia will not get here at the end, and you maybe make the Europa League, uh, which Europa League would be kind of nice. But at the same time, honestly, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, I know we talked before the pod about I'd like to see uh, us win the Europa League, but I also wouldn't mind us just having one less fixture to worry about all the time right now, as we're still trying to get this right. So to me, this match against Stuttgart means a lot both psychologically aside from just the the result you need to get but the performance needs to match the result positively not negatively ideally yeah and knowing where's the Dortmund fans maybe not you know around the world but this time actually those who go to the games um you know they obviously make a little bit more of a of a difference when voicing their discontent than than others, I guess. Um, do you think people that actually go to games will sort of, yeah, air that more loudly? Like if Dortmund do not well against Stuttgart and then uh, you know have a stinker in a derby, do you think this uh, this uh, yeah basically has bigger ramifications then? Well, I mean, Stefan, as you well know, us Westfalen are not known for looking at the sunny side of life. Uh, we, we, what we don't... sun? It's November. I haven't seen the sun in <laughs> uh, They weeks. come to Colorado. Uh, that's why I live here and not in the Münsterland, because uh, it just rains too much. No, uh, and obviously that... I, I think Stuttgart, not so much. If they lay an egg against Schalke, I mean, it, it could get ugly from the fan side of point. The displeasure, the, the whistling, the jeering, the booing. Um, away from home, maybe not as much. But yeah, I mean... We, we are a dour folk, uh, so needless to say, we don't need a lot to look on the negative side of things. And right now, uh, we're being given ample ammunition to doubt the future of Dortmund. Yeah, you see, the problem is, you know, if it comes to booing your team in the rural area, that usually is something that Schalke fans do quite regularly. I mean, it's, you know... It's basically music in my ears when there's a final whistle and a half-empty Feltins Arena is just an outcry of whistles. But right now, it, it looks like Dortmund are turning a little bit more into Schalke themselves with, you know, things like the Aubameyang suspension now and uh, just a lot easy, of uh, easy, Störgeräusche. Easy now. Call me when we've got a, a Metzger as a boss. All right, all right, um, I'll, I'll call you. But I, I'm, I'm just trying to get a point across that, uh, you know, Dortmund are in the spiral that you mentioned right now. And, uh, yeah, I I really hope for for the black and yellows that they turn things around rather quickly because I know otherwise, as you said, it's it can get ugly rather rather quickly and uh, I completely forgot the point I was trying to make so there's that um one one last thing we can maybe mention about that Stuttgart game before we go ahead to predictions is that um the uh, Dortmund Ultras will stay away because uh, there have been some uh, <laughs> problems I don't know from the Stuttgart side of things they tried to ban about 200 fans and uh that was basically like a blanket ban because they assumed that they would be too dangerous, I guess, from the police. And uh, thus, yeah, there, there's protest, I guess. Uh, Dortmund fans once protested in Stuttgart for different reasons because Stuttgart are known to have very high ticket prices. And uh, if you remember, that was the uh, game where... Uh, I don't even know if it was a cup game or a league match, but uh, a lot of tennis balls were thrown on the field back then because uh, they tried to make the point that a uh, game to Stuttgart basically costs as much as a tennis match. And uh, I think there's a German tennis tournament that takes place in Stuttgart 
probably sponsored by Mercedes-Benz or so. Um, but yeah, this time it's a little different. So if you see a different kind of support from uh, the uh, way, and that's most likely because the Dortmund Ultras will be uh, somewhere else, namely supporting the Borussia Dortmund Amateure. So just so you know. Anywho, um, last predictions. Well, one thing we haven't mentioned about Stuttgart is that they are very solid defensively, even though, as you mentioned earlier, they've played a fairly soft schedule. I mean, they, in terms of expected goals, they allow the second least amount, uh, trailing only Bayern. They don't allow a lot of shots. Uh, I think fewer even than Dortmund or maybe just a little more than Dortmund and Bayern. So it's going to prove a difficult game, I imagine. And I'm going for a one all draw. Sounds about right. Uh, last, you, you mentioned Benjamin Pavard as a player that you could, well, would hope to see in Dortmund colors soon. Yeah, I would, but I think he's going to be fairly expensive and there's a lot of competition from uh, Bayern and Leipzig. And I would imagine uh, Paris Saint-Germain will also be after a now full French international and all the English clubs. So he might play himself out of Dortmund's price range by the end of the season, but he's a wonderful player. So if, if you want to watch one player really closely for Stuttgart, maybe just look at the curly haired defender. I don't know what number he wears, but Pavar, he's really good. All right. Konstantin, your prediction. Uh, yeah, so then Timo Baumgartel would be the narrow option, actually. Um, I think a 2-1 win for Dortmund. Okay, that's also my prediction. I feel like it's going to be a very dirty win for Dortmund this time, but uh, maybe that's all they need. Matthias? Well, I'll make it three of us. Uh, I think 2-1, uh, one, uh, one out of belief and two out of necessity. <laughs> all right. Uh Matthias, I guess now we can talk briefly about Tottenham Hotspur because they arrive in Dortmund on Tuesday night, I think. And uh, yeah, this is, to me personally, this is a dead rubber. Uh, since you are also a Tottenham fan, can you please talk us through how Tottenham have fared since the last time those teams have met in the Champions League? Uh, well, they, um, let's just, how, how do I say this? Uh, Tor Real Madrid, a new one at Wembley, which was fantastic to see. Um, Harry Kane is amazing. Dele Alli is getting into the groove of things. Pochettino is the best manager in England. Haha. <laughs> um, no, they've, they've been playing incredibly well. Uh, very strong, very solid. Um, overall, uh, you know, a couple of, poor performances here or there, but overall very, very good. Uh, not playing, you know, Wembley curse here or there. I think they'll show up, they'll turn up, and uh, I think they're going to win. Again. <laughs> Again. Yeah, I, I, I have a... I I, th I think my prediction is the same right now, but let's talk about that after Friday's game uh, and see in what kind of form Dortmund are actually in. Because, uh, you know, as bad as the scheduling is to play on Friday after an international break, if you have a lot of international players on your team, uh, they actually get a couple of days rest. The question, of course, will be, how seriously should Dortmund even take this game knowing the derby is coming up and, uh, you know, they do have to think about securing a top four finish in the Bundesliga after all. And uh, yeah, you never know how things go. Lars, do you think it will be a rotated side where Peter Bosch starts to experiment or do you think Dortmund will take this game against Tottenham as seriously as they can? Well, it, you you said it was a dead rubber. I don't think they will consider it as, much, as such. Uh, it's still a competitive fixture in the Champions League and quite possibly the last Champions League home match for, uh, I mean, months, that's basically guaranteed. But the way they've been playing in the Bundesliga, it wouldn't be shocking if this was the last Champions League match for over a year. So a uh, uh, home match, I mean. 
so they, I'm sure they're going to take it seriously and, and I can't really see experiments, however, w whatever you would call it, an experiment uh, in terms of the starting lineup, I guess. Um, the thing is that we don't know how Tottenham actually will uh, treat this game. They have the North London derby on Saturday, I believe, and they are basically through already and I don't know how important it is to win the group nowadays uh, with some of the The other groups in the Champions League, I think it doesn't make a huge difference coming in second or first nowadays. Uh, I mean, we saw last year Real didn't win the group with Dortmund and they still was their way to another Champions League title. So it's it's not like it's a, a deal breaker for your ambitions in the Champions League to only come in second. And uh, so we don't know how how either of the sides will will treat this game. I. I would put my money on both playing much of, if not all of their best uh, 11 players or their, their best team rather. And ultimately that will then probably be a really relatively close game. I think we saw in the first leg that both sides are actually fairly evenly matched with Spurs being much more clinical, but also the game script went in their uh, favor with uh, Berkey's mistakes uh, leading to goals from their first two or three chances so I think these are two teams that maybe not on form but uh, in terms of the overall quality are fairly evenly matched so even though their fortunes in the Champions League have been quite different I, I do believe we could be in for a fairly, fairly entertaining game and, and maybe the fact that it's not of huge huge importance to either of the sides because Uh, I think we can probably assume that Nicosia won't uh, get a point from Real, so Dortmund will still be able to come in third with a defeat. And as I said, Spurs don't necessarily have to win their group. Maybe that will actually contribute to uh, a, a more free-flowing game. And, and with these two sides, they have the quality. Dortmund haven't shown it in recent weeks, but if if both teams have a have a good day this could be a really spectacular match actually so it, it it's difficult to look ahead to champions league matches this season but if there's one i'm looking forward to it might just be this one yeah and uh, i have to add tottenham right now are three points ahead of real madrid and they won the direct comparison so even if they lose in dortmund they still have a very good chance of winning the group if they just beat nicosia after that uh Because I think the direct comparison is more important than uh, goal difference, right? In the Champions League. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, there's that. Konstantin, um, what do you make of uh, this game? Do you think uh, it, it will be an open battle with all the pressure off? Or, uh, or you know, just a really gritty game as we've seen in the first one, well, reverse fixture? Um. So I, I yeah, I mean, it depends a little bit uh, on on how uh, Tottenham will approach the match. Um, just uh, do they care about uh, winning the group? Uh, maybe they will. Uh, I think there are some some teams who will win the group or the other groups, uh, and you should avoid them. Um, so I maybe it's it's important for them. I, I don't really know. I mean, Dortmund has. Uh, to win at least one point uh, from the last two matches. Um, otherwise, I mean, they are out of out of uh, the Europa League, uh, and I mean, they would be beat by Nicosia, which is pretty embarrassing. Um, so yeah, I think Dortmund will fight for one point. Uh, if if uh, Tottenham shows up with the best lineup, then uh, it will be pretty pretty tough to uh, win one point against Tottenham because they just you know if they have Ericsson and Ali um, in, in midfield and Son and Kane up front um, and then you know sit deep in their typical uh, system which they do a lot uh, which they did against uh, Liverpool and other teams successfully which they did against Dortmund in the in the first uh, group match successfully um, so if they do that then I mean I could I could see them Uh, scoring a few goals via counterattacks um, and, you know, basically breaking Dortmund mentally. Um, so, I mean, it really depends on how uh, Tottenham approaches the, the the match. I mean, if they really take it seriously, I have a hard time seeing Dortmund winning the match. Yeah, I don't... 
I don't really know what Pochettino will do and uh, what players he will field, but I'm pretty sure that he will that he will take the same approach as he did in a reverse fixture. As you said, it worked well against Liverpool, and I don't see why it wouldn't work again away to Dortmund. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's it's even the more natural choice to do it, uh, you know. At I was just going to yeah say Sorry. that at Wembley, Do- uh, Tottenham basically played like an away team, and uh, so I I think it's it's going to be the same. And so yeah, we will see if Dortmund can do better nowadays. Uh, you know, dealing with a team that wants to hit them on the counter, especially with teams that can. Uh, hold onto the ball in midfield for a couple of seconds longer than others maybe and uh, that uh, yeah their pressing might not be as effective and whether they come up with other ideas to to prevent you know Tottenham from uh, doing one over again so um, yeah and we will see if Roman Bürki can finally cover the near post so uh, yeah I don't know to me again not the most important game it's like to me, it, it, it already feels like a day off because there's zero pressure in this one. And, uh, you know, you can just relax and, and enjoy the show or not if things are going badly for Dortmund. Um, Konstantin, a prediction? 1-1 uh, or no 2-2. Two, two. Okay, Matthias, you already said Tottenham will win. How much? By how much? 3-2. Um, Lars? Uh, mine was the same as Konstantin's 2-2. Two, two. All right. I will go with the one or draw in this one. And uh, yeah, that more or less concludes the previewing set of things. But uh, there's a big topic that has emerged in the last couple of days, of course, broken by ESPN FC. Uh, <laughs> that Sven Mislintat is uh, looking at a job at Arsenal, or rather Arsenal are looking at uh, the diamond eye Sven Mislintat, the uh, scout-in-chief, or however you want to call him nowadays. Um, Matthias, how much of a blow would that be if uh, Arsenal snap him up? Um, well, I don't know, I'll be honest. Um... The uh, uh, scouting these days has changed so much, uh, given the software that everybody has, and basically everybody's working off the same database and sees the same things. And um, I think the role of scouts and scouting has changed overall, especially for the bigger clubs. I'd say it's significantly more important for the smaller clubs, um, just because of restrictions in the transfer window. I think for Dortmund or for transfer fees they can pay. I think for Dortmund it probably takes, it's more important than say for Bayern or Real Madrid or Barcelona or PSG just because Dortmund are still trying to be fiscally responsible with their transfers. So it makes perfect sense that Arsenal, who also, though they spend more overall, also still try to do things in a fiscal, responsible way, that it makes sense for a club like that to have someone like him. I think um, it it would be a, a negative side effect, especially given that he was kind of in the middle of that storm that also sent Thomas Tuchel packing uh, because... He he and Tuchel had such a bad relationship, to say the least, and the club was more on his side than on, on Tuchel's side at the end of the day. And then if a year later he leaves, you know, you don't know now in retrospect if you always did the right thing. So I think it would be a, a, a blow sounds so bad. It would be a minor setback, um, but I'm pretty sure Dortmund can fill that gap with another... Um, very good uh, chief of scouting. Konstantin, how easy are very good chiefs of scouting to find nowadays? Um, how easy are they? T- uh, how easy? Yeah, to how find easy someone? do you think uh, yeah. it is for Dortmund to re- replace Mislintat if he goes? Uh, pretty much impossible. Um, to be honest, because most of the, I mean, that's a that's a position. 
Um, not not every club has like the same kind of role or has a has a person that fills the same kind of role. I mean, sometimes there's there is like one head of you know recruitment or so, but uh, they are they have less power than Mislintat, or they are just you know really really in some uh you know in in some basement <laughs> actually um so yeah Mr. Tad is is in a somewhat unique role i mean you could compare with maybe Reschke uh who was you know like the head of recruitment at Bayern and is now sort of the sporting director at Stuttgart uh maybe you can compare with compare uh Mr. Tad with him it, it's hard, uh, but it, the the thing is that there aren't many people out there capable uh, of of doing uh, what Miss Intert has done at uh, you know in the same level. Um, and even you know I I brought up uh, Reschke, which has like the, uh, a big name in German football as one guy who is like who recruits all these great talents from South America, who has like an eye uh, for South American talent, which in you know in fact he. He has to some extent, but the truth is that he uh, also has great contacts, you know, has a great network in South America, uh, which basically feeds him all these players. It's not like he has the eye for it. So what you need is someone who has the contacts, who has a network somewhere, you know, in some parts of the world at least, and who has uh, an eye for talent. So, and to find someone like that, it's it's pretty tough. I mean, you can find someone who has an eye for talent, but that's not enough. So, and then you got you got uh, Michel Zorc, who who maybe has a network, but um, I, I don't know if he has like uh, <laughs> as big of a network as some uh, people may think um, he has. So, yeah, that's it's it's pretty it's pretty much impossible to find a replacement right now. I mean, uh, f- finding a few capable scouts that's not a problem. You will find some. And, you know, they are supported or they can use, uh, new technology. They can use all the video footage you are, you, it's now, which is now available. You know, you don't have to fly to, I know, Buenos Aires all the time to, to scout someone from Argentina, for instance. I mean, you can watch all the, uh, footage with the tactical cameras right now, you know, which are positioned on the roofs of, of stadiums. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's not a problem, but, uh, you need like a mix between someone, you know, Network and and I for talent. So um, I I don't know I don't know how much of a network uh, Missing Tut has right now, but I think he has someone of a network, and he has like a, a, also a lot of scouts working for him. And I mean, and they have a network as well. I don't know which would which scout would leave if if Missing Tut is leaving. So yeah, there are some question marks here, um, and it would hurt Dortmund. Yeah, I think it will hurt Dortmund quite significantly significantly considering the amount of talent Mislintat unearthed and discovered you know Lewandowski Aubameyang Guerrero Dembele Kagawa Barrios just just to name a couple of attacking players uh, maybe you should have done a little bit better in the defensive department because Dortmund haven't been blessed with uh, great defensive talent in the last years but Zagadou I guess is also a good signing I don't know whether that was a Mislintat signing as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, I don't know. There will be a void, definitely. I mean, he also is working, uh, or has a startup where they're trying to, uh, basically develop a big data software, which, uh, yeah, m- makes football a little bit more analytical from, uh, the way you interpret stats. And uh, uh, how, uh, how you uh, 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 yeah, but but let, I don't, uh, let, let's let's you know don't talk about big data in football. I mean, I, I have to, <laughs> I, I always have to laugh when 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 football uh, or when some you know journalists or, or people who work in the industry uh, pretend that uh, you know big data is a factor in football. It's not. I mean, uh, they're uh, Salzburg and Leipzig are basically at the forefront of big data, and even they are like in Stone Age. So um, yeah, it's kind of funny. I think football needs tw- uh, uh, pretty much another, you know, ten years or so before they are, you know, even before you can even sniff some something like baseball. So. <laughs> yeah, again, startups. So that basically sums it all up. Um, but you know, he of course also brought the football note and and stuff like that to Dortmund. So just saying that you know, when it comes to technologies, Mislintat is uh, quite innovative. Um, Lars. Dortmund, you know, extended his contract recently, and I think it goes to, to uh, 2021. Do you think Dortmund should let him go? 
do do you think Dortmund have enough levers to keep him or do you think that Arsenal who will uh I guess put a quite significant amount of money on the table uh will just be you know that money will just be too much so I actually have a couple of points to make about Misslintat so this might be a longer answer but uh, I mean Konstantin is on this show so people are now accustomed to those uh First of all, it's, uh, what, what Mislintat actually does or has done for Dortmund is quite difficult to point out. I mean, it's easy to give someone all the credit who wouldn't get all the blame if something goes wrong because he doesn't actually make decisions. He only makes recommendations. So, uh, that's a starter. So people are always pointing out that, that he unearthed, uh, players like Guerrero or, uh, Lewandowski. I'm, it's preposterous to say that one person, uh, unearthed a player and was the first to ever see him and, and and then the club signed him based on that one recommendation of one guy. I mean, for example, Kagawa, it's the it's the it's the best example for for the mysterious role of a chief scout. I mean, there's this notion that that um Mislintat unearthed Kagawa and, and they signed him because he thought he was a good player. Actually what happened is that Kagawa's agent, Thomas Kroth, who's operating from Uh, I think it's Dortmund even, or might be Una or some... Yeah, he's, a, some, he's a former Dortmund player. Yeah, that too. He's a cup winner of 89. So there are obvious ties with Michael Zorg, for example. So the the scouting network Konstantin mentioned before the, was at work here. So he's the agent of Kagawa and many p uh, players from Japan. And he offered Kagawa to pretty much every German club and Dortmund were the ones to sign him after extensive scouting. So it's not like... Had a practice at Cologne. Yeah, uh, so it's it's not like Mislintat uh, uh, traveled to Japan to find a great attacking midfielder. Saw this guy at Cherezo Osaka once and and thought, man, we gotta sign that guy. So that's not how how scouting in football works. So uh, I mean, obviously he deserves a lot of credit for uh, being instrumental in Dortmund's positive strides in recruitment but on the other hand then he is also has to take some of the blame for uh, transfers that didn't work out like uh, Rode Schöle I guess Emre Moore can be counted among those uh, Mikel Merinos uh, then the the question is is this a big blow for Dortmund if he leaves absolutely I mean the fact that Dortmund uh, sided with the chief of scouting over their head coach should tell you a lot. And then also the fact that they didn't let him go to Fortuna Düsseldorf, VfB Stuttgart, Hamburger SV, and even Bayern Munich in the last two years or two and a half years, that, that speaks volumes. And they, with his contract extension, you mentioned, Stefan, they actually created a position for him that didn't exist before. He's not just the chief of scouting. He's the director of professional football at Dortmund, whatever that means. I mean... It's a it's a title without uh, us knowing really what his uh, responsibilities are, but the fact that they created a position for him higher up the hierarchy. I mean, what else do you need as a as a sign of how highly they rate this guy? Uh, so if if he leaves, the 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 loss will be colossal for Dortmund. Just the the brain drain the, this club has suffered over the last few months, with first a world class coach in Tuchel leaving and then. This highly rated uh, scout, or however you want to call him, uh, I mean, as Constantine said, it's basically impossible to replace all the things seemingly because we don't really know what he's done. Uh, it's hardly possible to replace someone like that. So, uh, to come back to your actual question, Stefan, uh, should Dortmund try to keep a hold of him? Absolutely, because uh, they they will struggle tremendously to find someone to fill that very specific role but seeing as he's not a sporting director or a coach but somewhere in a more internal position it's not usual to demand transfer fees and even if you don't want to let this one guy go uh, not letting him leave to pursue his dreams or get a better job than what he has at Dortmund would be a bad sign for future uh signings of employees in, in other directorial roles so i think if if arsenal are serious about this then there's no question he's going to leave and it's going to be a massive law to dortmund 
Yeah, from what I hear, it's it's very likely that he will actually leave. But uh, yeah, I guess Dortmund do have the final word on on that. But uh, yeah, last point, Mancinia, editor of the Yellow Wall, has a very good point there. Uh, that uh, it's it's very hard to to say what exactly uh, Mislintar did and what he didn't do. But uh, you know, it basically there's there's a lot of evidence showing you know in what sort of regard he is esteemed in in Dortmund so yeah it's it's uh it's going to hurt I guess if if he leaves but uh yeah as Michel Zog always says fundamentally no one is irreplaceable and I guess that's that's sort of uh you know a notion that I heard a couple of times that you know there will be a overhaul at Dortmund within the next years anywho with maybe Watzke and and Robal retiring from their positions and offices but uh yeah i guess that's talk for another episode for now uh anyone still have any points to make or can we wrap things up <laughs> so i guess we can wrap things up it was a pleasure to have you on once again konstantin where can people find you on the internet uh, as always, they can find me on Twitter, uh, cc underscore eckner. Um, and of course, I mean, they can check out spielverlagen.com, although, uh, we haven't had that many articles, uh, as of late, but I mean, just check it out. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, it's just a break before the big World Cup. Anyway, I mean, the, 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 the thing with Spielverlager is just, you know, uh, basically, I think 60% of our writers are also full-time analysts in the Premier League or the uh, Scottish Premiership or something. So, yeah, that's also one big factor. I mean, fair enough. Matthias, when you're not analyzing for any Premier League or Scottish teams, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk and uh, also on the World Football Index. Very nice. And last but not least, where can people find you? I just want to point out that we haven't mentioned the name Mahmoud Dahoud even once this show, and that's a travesty, and people can find me on Twitter at Lars Polman. <laughs> well, where, 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 where can they find Dahoud? In the end, a 21 squad way scores in place. So, yeah. They can find him in Peter Bush's doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can find me at Stefan Butzko and uh, my work on ESPN FC. And if you want to get in touch with the show, and once again, a shout out to everyone outside of the United States. If you want to uh, be part of our fans from around the world segment, please get in touch. Uh, we shall churn out a couple of episodes on that in the coming weeks. So please. You know, get in touch via the channels, either Facebook or our contact form on yellowwallport.com. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, please do that on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. And if you want to support us financially, please do that, please do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. That's everything from us for now. And we will be back with the Revier Derby preview episode. Goodbye.